Geek Bill Radio. Well, dusting out the cobwebs here in the Geekville Radio studio, ladies and gentlemen. This is Seth, a.k.a. Zandrax, the mayor of Geekville and the host of Geekville Radio, coming at you with a news-filled extravaganza here. We're going to talk San Diego Comic-Con and a lot of the news that came out. I don't think we'd be able to cover it all because we'd probably be here until San Diego Comic-Con next year with all the, all the news that broke there, but... We'll get some of the big stuff. We're going to talk the MCU. There was a lot of MCU news in San Diego Comic-Con. There's also some DC stuff that hit, some funky animation that will come along the way in the form of bat wheels. And there's also some Star Wars news that broke as well. So once again, I don't have to do it alone. Joining me from an undisclosed location in South Kakalaki, Crazy Train Jonathan Bullet. All aboard, ladies and gentlemen. I am on my phone. Instead of my usual setup at home, as Seth just told you, so my voice sounds a little different. I apologize, but I think it still should be good enough. There was there was some horror news that dropped at San Diego Comic Con, but we will we will hold off that for my podcast, Examining the Dead, that of course Seth co-hosts with me. That seems to be more appropriate for that that particular podcast than this one. But come on. San Diego Comic-Con is essentially the Christmas of the geek year, isn't it? It's what the entire calendar revolves around, it seems like. It's a perfect thing to call it, yeah. It's like Christmas in July, you might say. I mean, you can remember how as a kid, as a kid how like Christmas vacation and that week buildup of being out of school, at least here in America or in North America, too, for you know, our Canadian listeners. So it's mm-hmm. kind of the same thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So without further ado, let's dive into the news. This week in Geek News. There was a lot of news that broke for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the MCU. We'll start off with the announcements about Phases 4, 5, and 6, because really ever since Phase 4 started, people have been asking, what is the direction of Phase 4? Where where are we going to get the baddies? What's the climax and such? And this past weekend, Kevin Feige announced that Phases 4, 5, and 6 will collectively be called the Multiverse Saga. Obviously, they have already dove into the multiverse with Loki and Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. But what's funny is that Phase 4 is confirmed to be ending this year with Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. And we'll talk about that movie in a bit when we discuss that trailer. And that Phase 5 will kick off next year with... Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, Quantumania running wild. And we already know the Kang will be a big part of that, yeah. But what was probably even more surprising was Phase 6 was already announced for 2024. And that will be when we'll finally get our MCU incarnation of the Fantastic Four. So that means that Phase 5 is essentially going to be one year. Now... A lot of stuff I think that's going to air on Disney Plus next year will be part of that Phase 5. So it's not like it's just going to be a couple movies. So as far as the multiverse saga, I think what this means for the MCU as far as the multiverse goes and where things might might be happening is we talked about it a year ago when we discussed Loki. And I'd even mentioned it years before that when Avengers Endgame came out and we heard that Loki was going to center around time travel in his series 
I basically said flat out, okay, what with all this time traveling going around, somebody's going to piss off Kane, and that's more or less right. what happened. Actually, pissed off Kane himself face to face, if because he who remains in the finale of Loki was a form of Kang. Just it seems to be a yes. less malevolent version. So we know we're going to be getting Kang, and we know he's going to be played by the same actor who played He Who Remains, and that will probably build up through the next three years, because in 2025, we will be getting not one, but two Avengers movies, right. much like how we got Infinity War and Endgame. But I guess it's kind of more like Back to the Future 2 and 3, where they came out just a few months apart from each other, but they were made at the same time. And it would not surprise me at all if the Kang Dynasty, which will be Avengers 5, might end on a cliffhanger or possibly with the bad guys losing, just like Infinity War did. And then the sixth Avengers film will be called Secret Wars. And I'm assuming, based on it being called Secret Wars and this dealing with the multiverse of madness... It's a pretty safe assumption this is going to be a take on the modern version of Secret Wars rather than the ones we grew up with in the 80s. I saw a pretty good description of this, another outlet for covering geek news like we do here. And he brought up the fact that it's that storyline, and I do, and I know you do as mm -hmm. well. Ultimately, the ultimate bad guy in that is Dr. Doom, who right. we've openly said is probably the best villain in all the Marvel Universe, who has not been introduced to the cinematic universe yet. Mm -hmm. And with uh, an introduction of Fantastic Four, you got to have Doctor Doom. So this is all kind of falls in place, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, you you can't do the Fantastic Four without Doom, as as far as I'm concerned. And he he is one of the longest standing villains in Marvel. So it'll be a real thrill to see that character finally done justice on on the big screen. Yeah, and for those that aren't big big Marvel fans and don't know much about Doctor Doom, and if all those the, the Marvel drop, well, actually, it's Fox dropping the ball on the on the previous Fantastic Four movies depiction of Doom. Doom is to the Marvel comic world, I would say, everything that the Joker and Lex Luthor are together in in DC. Would you not agree? Definitely. I, I'd said before, I'll try to be brief, but when I tried to describe Doctor Doom to people, I use this as the summary. Dr. Doom may not have the greatest scientific mind in Marvel, Reed Richards does, but Doom's in that conversation of the top ones. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have the, the best suit of armor, uh, Tony Stark does, Iron Man, but he's in that conversation of, of the best. And he's not the most powerful sorcerer either, Dr. Strange is, but... Once again, he's in that conversation when it comes to the top guys. So you have one guy who has intellect on par with Richards, craftsmanship on par with Tony Stark, and he's a sorcerer on top of that, on par with Dr. Strange. And due to all this, he's considered uh, empowered. Maybe, I mean, obviously he's not Hulk level, but he's comparable, I'd say, to Cap, to Steve, wouldn't you? Yeah, and, he, and he's usually had strength amplifiers in his suit as well, so... He can, he can take hits and hit very hard as well. Well, this lends credence to what we talked about when we reviewed the Multiverse of Madness. We had brought up in that review that we had thought that the robots in the parallel universe where Strange visits that universe's version of the Marvel Illuminati, that you're, if you don't know a lot, it looks like Stark Tech robots, like the Iron Legion mm -hmm. that we've been introduced to already in the movies. But you and I both said, 
I can't remember if we said it all mic or off mic. We said all mic, great. If not, we're bringing it up now. Those robots are like more like Doom bots, more like Doctor Doom's definitely tech with the glowing green eyes and stuff. Yes. For those that don't know, Doctor Doom has always been depicted in the comic books, and every every time he's ever been brought up outside of the the, the Fantastic Four movie, the video games and comic books, as having his own army of robots called Doom bots that are essentially the army for his country that he rules Latveria. Isn't that correct? You're the yeah. you're the big you're the big Final Fantastic Four guy. So. Yeah, yeah. I I to me. I think Doom is a perfect example of the lawful evil. He is definitely evil because he's power hungry and all that. But he also strikes me as that he'd be very good at his job at being a dictator. Yeah, he would rule with an iron fist, but he might also be good for the economy of whatever country he's ruling over as well. And he's also one of those guys, I think there are standards that he might not cross. Like, he will respect heroes to a certain extent. He's not completely off the cuff like a Joker is. There's a style to what, the ultimate, to how he ultimate does ultimate agent of chaos. <laughs> right, right. But every Doom is one of those, everything he does has a purpose and usually has some sort of structure and areas where he will or won't go, depending on what his goal is. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And we make a concerted effort and here on Geekville Radio to not ever get political. And I don't mean to with this comment, but it, it's kind of unavoidable. He, I think a great way to sum up Doom is he's a Latveria first leader. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Agree? Definitely, yeah, because that's his home effectively, and it is the country that he rules in the Marvel Universe. So now you, we were talking about the comic Secret Wars. Like I said, there's actually been three over the last uh, 35 years. There were Secret Wars and Secret Wars 2 in the 80s. Those are the ones we think of with Secret Wars. But the one that was a few years back, the reason... Like 2014, is that right? Some, something something like, yeah, because it, it had the war world, which was kind of like the world between worlds, you might say. Almost like a pocket dimension. Yeah, ultimately what Secret Wars was, it was a way to combine the traditional 616 Marvel Universe with the Ultimate Universe, and it condensed that all into one reality. And so now we actually have, in the comics, two Spider-Mans running around, I guess Spider-Men, and Peter Parker and Miles Morales. It's just Miles tends to stick to New York while Peter goes off adventuring with the rest of the Avengers. So it's kind of sort of like Marvel's version of Crisis Infinite Earths. I mean, that, that's my own explanation yeah, yeah. for it. I don't know how many other people would take it. But. That was exact, exactly where I was going to go, the analogy I was going to make. It, and it makes sense if the, the actual publication history of both imprints to understand that DC needed to do that in the 80s because their storylines and characters went all the way back to the, to the, the late 30s, early 40s, whereas Marvel's current lineup of characters and storylines didn't get grown all the way back to the 60s, mm-hmm. not the 40s. So DC had about a 20, 25 year jump on them. So they both had to, both imprints had to do this storyline about the same length of time from the birth of their imprint to the point where it had gotten so convoluted with so many different writers and artists. It's about the same time span, about 40, 45 years. It's just that because Marvel is younger than DC, that's why theirs happened much later. You know? Right, right. I, I, I agree. And for, for anybody who wants to hear more detail about DC's Crisis and Infinite Earths, uh, Trey and I did a pretty detailed rundown of it. 
a few years back for that Arrowverse crossover that happened. I guess is I guess it was two years ago now where they did their own mm-hmm. Crisis on Infinite Earth. So I'll link that in the show notes if you want to check that episode out. And I think my big prediction, and I know I'm not the only one who thinks this. I'm not trying to claim to be clever or clairvoyant or anything like that. But I think ultimately the Secret Wars will be how they can, in storyline, either bring back or introduce new versions of the characters we saw in the first three phases. Like we might get a new Tony Stark, a new Captain America, or something along those lines. Because many of those characters, I think, obviously, we're all human. We all age. Chris Hemsworth looks great, and it looks like he's still happy playing Thor, but he's not going to be able to play Thor forever. Uh, Eventually, the role is going to have to be recast. And David Batista already said that, that Guardians 3 is his last go around. Is, I think uh, so, yeah. Because yeah. how old's Dave now? Yeah, he's got to be mid, mid-50s, I think, yeah. And he's a few years older than me, and it's like, he looks great, but run, like, running around in that character with no shirt on, being buff like that, eventually Father Time does kick in. He's going to mm-hmm. catch up with you. Kang, like I said, we saw him introduced in the Loki series, and he even said... He has his own variants in different worlds in the multiverse. And in the comics, Kang himself is very much a time traveler, which is why I was saying somebody's going to piss off Kang. And he's also gone by several different identities over the course of Marvel. And since he's a time traveler, these forms and identities are encountered at different places and times throughout the universe. Sometimes he's like from the 50th century or something like that. And other times they find him in the past and he has some sort of different name. And whether it was just trying to be crafty or whether it really was intended to be such a mastermind character, many of these villains we thought were their own thing. And then I guess, oh no, it's just Kang in disguise, Kang under another identity. What was it like a nihilist or something like that was one of them. That's what I think very well may happen is we're going to see several versions of Kang. Only he might not be called Kang, but we might get Annihilus in one movie. We might get one of his other incarnations in another movie. And then we find out, holy crap, they're all Kang, just like he said in Loki. And that's what we see in the Kang dynasty. That's my big prediction, at least. I don't know what, what you think about that. Yeah. I, I would, Once again, to stick with analogies to DC, I think there's a lot of analogies to be made for Kang with Vandal Savage in DC. Of course, Vandal Savage is a character who was a, a Nathanderall man, a caveman here in Earth, who, through exposure to a meteorite that hit the Earth, gains like superhuman levels of strength and intelligence and immortality. And there are several storylines in DC that deal with a version of Vandal Savage traveling through time to stop another version of himself from doing something that would be bad. Mm-hmm. You know, he's always presented as a villain, but there are a few times he's been presented as an anti-hero trying to stop himself, essentially, from doing something that's going to screw up everything. So I think there's an analogy to be made there. I think there could be a similarity to like what you're talking about. Okay. I think they're going to dive more into the multiverse side than they are into just time travel. You don't want to get into that whole back to the future paradox and don't see yourself. You know, we, I don't see Doc Brown popping up. Right. <laughs> it's more of, like you said, two versions of Spider-Man. Well, we've already seen, it's just on, on Doctor Strange. We've seen that, whatever that universe was, their version of, of the super soldier, which was Captain Carter instead of 
Steve Rogers Captain America. We we saw their version of 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 Captain Marvel, which wasn't Carol Danvers, it was Monica Rambeau. Now we did see several trailers during Marvel's Hall H session. Some of them haven't made it to the web because they're trying to keep them as fan exclusives. I mean, you, you can find some pirated versions from cell phones and stuff, but I, that, that happens every Comic Con. We'll we'll stick to the stuff that was actually released to the public. We mentioned it earlier, so Wakanda Forever, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. That's going to be the final film in Phase Four, and it will be released this fall. We finally got the trailer for it, and uh, as we expected, we we're told that T'Challa wasn't going to be recast, and it looks like. T'Challa, even in the MCU, the character has passed. I don't know if it's been because of cancer, but we also got some footage of Tanakh Huerta, hopefully I'm saying that right, as Namor. One thing I couldn't help but notice as far as the soundtrack goes is it was a cover of Bob Marley's No Woman, No Cry. And Mm -hmm. I can't help but wonder if Bob Marley was chosen because he also died at an untimely young age due to cancer. I think he was actually even younger than Chadwick Boseman was. But uh, I, I think I, you're right. Because he was in the early 30s when he passed, I believe. Something like, yeah. Yeah, so it, it, I think that had at least had something to do with why they chose that music uh, as the soundtrack. But things that I had noticed in the trailer, we know that Namor is going to be the antagonist, and we do see floodwaters plowing through Wakanda, so that's probably done at Namor's bidding. And we do see a little infant child clearly underwater. And I think it's pretty safe to say that that's the baby Namor right after birth. We also see him at a very young age watching a building burn similar to like what Luke did in Force Awakens, Luke Skywalker. So I think what they are implying is... Something dastardly happens to Namor's family, and for some reason he thinks Wakanda is responsible for it, and hence his attempt to invade or, or conquer Wakanda. That, that's my thought. I don't know if you got the same vibes or not. Yeah, kind of. While you were, while you were talking, I, I went to the wiki. Mm-hmm. Yes, you are correct. Chadwick Boseman was 46 when he passed away. Bob Marley was only 30. was only 36 when he passed oh, away. Oh, it's 10 years younger. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, no, sorry, sorry. Chad was forty-four when he passed away. Oh, okay. Bob Marley was 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 thirty-six, so mm-hmm. about nine years difference in their death. Both obviously tragically taken way too soon. You know. Yeah, yeah cancer sucks, man. Uh, it does, but I do think there's going to be just on the anticipation alone because of Chadwick that Black Panther stands at least opening weekend to probably do better than any other Marvel movie we've had in a while. Don't you agree? I think so. I, I think you could even make the argument that it's the most anticipated, certainly of the year. I, I don't want to use the term morbid curiosity, but I can't think of anything else to use. People were waiting for that movie even before Chadwick passed because the first one did so well. It did like a billion dollars just, just in its own right. So I think that alone would lead fans to want to see the sequel. And then, of course, with the the sad news of his passing, I think that just kind of amplified that that interest, like you said, just to see how it will be handled. Because remember, in, in the comics, Namor does have a history of fighting Wakanda and T'Challa. So this this is actually got its base in comic history as well. 
Right. And I also think you've got to remember the original, the first Black Panther, which is what, 17, 18 when it came out, whatever it was, mm-hmm. is generally regarded by most fans and critics as one of the top two or three movies in the entire MCU. I don't, I don't hold it as high regard as other, but it's in my top five, yeah. probably. Yeah, and I can understand uh, I mean, why somebody would think of it so fondly, and not the least of which is because, like we've said before, there's no way a Black Panther movie would have been made on that scale 30 years ago. It, it, it just no, wouldn't it would have, have it, it, it would have been more along the lines of a Pam Greer, Richard Roundtree, uh, Ossie Davis black yeah. exploitation movie in the 70s. Yeah, you know? yeah, something, something from the streets. You know? mm-hmm. Look, I like the movie a lot, mm-hmm. and I understand why a lot of people like it. Of course, I, I, I'm that guy, so I'm going to be the one that reminds everybody, no, it wasn't the first successful black-led superhero movie. That would have been Blade back in 99. But I also remind that when I people it up is that everyone has to remember Wesley Snipes was wanting to make a Black Panther movie back then, and he, he, did, he did Blade as a compromise. So there's, there's no doubting that ethnicity matters and you're talking about african descended individuals that are superheroes black panther probably is the most beloved of of any of the any of the imprints and then it was well done and it it was a thing i think we brought this up several times that it was kind of obvious that marvel before chadwick's passing was setting up t'challa to be one of the new big three right in in this particular four, five, and six, maybe you know, the, the the multiverse side. Before we even knew it was that was what it was going to be called, and that that's that's kind of similar to what's what's gone on in the comics for the last I'd say what thirty years. Black Panther's been profile and importance has been oh, yeah. raised. Marvel's been depicting him as as an A lister for a couple of years now. They added a whole bunch of lore mm-hmm. to him with like the gods of Wakanda, so Wakanda has its own mythology and. And all that jazz. So, yeah, mm-hmm. they, they've definitely been pushing him as a top character. Yeah. And so now, that, that, of course, then when Chadwick died, we're like, okay, what are they going to do now? So this one thing goes into that morbid curiosity we were just talking about. It's a matter of where are they going to go with this? And then I think yeah, I brought it up to you a few weeks ago. Some news has recently come out from some of the stunt people involved in the film. Yeah, there was a pretty pretty bad accident on, on set where I believe Letitia Wright was injured. I think it was back in February. She, she broke her collarbone and got a pretty serious concussion and it halted filming for, I think, like a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And, and, and basically the helmet for her costume actually has some safety implements in it, just like a normal helmet. And it, it for essentially is what saved her life is what I hear. And when, when a major actor like that gets hurt on set, whether they keep it under wraps or not, that's going to delay. So I, I'll be interested to see. There's also that more of the curiosity. What scene ha- did this happen in? I know I brought up Crow many times on Examining the Dead. There has been a long-running, I don't know, what's the word I want to use, morbid curiosity, once again, of, of Crow fans and Brandon Lee right. fans of going back and watching that movie. Okay, which exactly was the, the scene that he got shot for real in that caused his death? Right. I, I know what it is now because they because we've had enough. It's been so long now. You were talking the early 90s, so it's been 30 years. It's been, And they've had a lot of people involved. Okay, this was the scene, but for what twenty years I didn't know it true. So, I think with her getting hurt, and I think I think it had been delayed even once before that because there was a COVID outbreak amongst the crew. So it's been a movie that had a troubled shooting history. You have the unfortunate passing of the of, of, of who was supposed to be the star, 
obviously set up to be a major cornerstone tentpole kind of movie for this entire overarching shared universe. You combine all those things, there's no way it can't be the, the top opening weekend of the MCU this year. This is no way. There's just too much intrigue and interest involved, at least I think. And it's set for November 11th, so right before Thanksgiving. And we have also know that this will be where they introduce Riri Williams, Ironheart. As, you know, she'll mm-hmm. probably take over as the Iron Man type character because obviously in the comics she's kind of Tony Stark's protege, so to speak, and she crafts her own armor. And they, they, they hint at that because she carves a, a heart out of metal kind of signifying her being Ironheart. So I'm sure this will have stuff that will lead into her, her series on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, and you've brought it before. If they choose to bring back RDJ in a voiceover role, this is the perfect opportunity to do it. Yeah, definitely. It's her being, being the, the AI in, in her suit. Being just, just like Tony uses Jarvis's voice as a model for the AI in his original, original AI Jarvis, she could easily do that with Tony and hers. And with all this being said, and all my, all my personal curiosity about all these things, none of those are the most important reason why I want to see this movie. Of course, the most important reason I want to see this movie is Angela Bassett. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think I've hidden my fact about it. She's right up there with Haley Atwell as one of my dream women. Oh, yeah. yeah she's, she's one of those you, you don't need to twist people's arms to get them to believe that she's a goddess-type character. Well, and the funny thing about Angela is she is just one of those people that has not aged. Right. She looks the same now as she did when she was playing Tina mm-hmm. back in, what was it? When, when, did, when, when did, was it 88, 89 when that came out? Yeah. <laughs> and I think that. so. And she, she wasn't necessarily spring chicken then either. So No, she was in a, what, probably in her late 30s then. I think so, yeah. You know I mean, I literally do not think Angela Bassett has aged. We talk about it. Harrison Ford's finally starting to show his age. John Schneider's finally starting to show his age. Dick yeah. Clark held on to his age for how long? Good Lord. Yeah. So it is what it is. Quick wiki check shows she is 63. That's incredible. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not that much younger than her, and I do not look that good. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I don't have the same genes. <laughs> yeah. Now, we talked about Black Panther and the MCU, something that's outside of the MCU. And I'm not sure how much attention you paid to the X-Men animated series back in the day, but we got our first look at... X-Men 97, and there wasn't really a trailer shown because I don't think they've really done much of the animating yet, but this Mm -hmm. is picking up where the 90s animated series left off with Xavier essentially going into space to be with Alondra and leaving the X-Men in the care of Magneto because Magneto is kind of reformed a bit out of his respect for Charles. And Magneto's even got that 80s kind of maroon look that he had when when he was a good guy with the big m going down his chest and that made me happy it's like it's dated of course but i kind of liked that that look because that's really about the time i started reading comics for the first time was uh, around the time magneto was a good guy and of course he turned bad again shortly after that but uh, didn't take <laughs> right right I, I don't know if you had any uh any interest in that or any any thoughts as far as what uh, of them going uh, with that I, look. I will watch it i'm a little older than you but I do, I, it was X-Men, the animated series was right before Batman the animated series. And there was mm-hmm. a time when they were both on Fox. I think Fox you're right. Had yeah. That, yeah, had that with Fox Kids, which was like an afternoon block of, of cartoons. And so they had arguably the two best animated 
comic book adaptations of all time. Because mm-hmm. I, I will say, for us, for for Marvel, without question, the old X Men animated series was the best Marvel comic animated adaptation. And I'd say I think it's second only to Batman animated series for just all, no matter what the imprint. And of course, it has that theme song that is just absolutely an earwig that will just burrow into your brain and you cannot get it out for the next two or three weeks. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's a good song. Right. It's already in my head already. <laughs> there you go. And it's going to be in there till Friday next week. <laughs> right. Yes, yeah, definitely. I am curious how the animation will look because in the mid 90s, there really wasn't much CGI in cartoons now it's all over the place and even the stuff that's 2d to look like cell i made it is still done with computers to be more of a flowing looks and if you go back and watch the 90s series i mean it looked great for its time and i think it's aged well but since it was all hand drawn you see how a lot of stuff is like maybe five frames a second especially when there's like big explosions and stuff for people flying by so We've gotten so used to these fluid motions in these computer-generated characters that move at a space of normal animation. So it, it, I'm curious if they will keep that look of it looking like it has fewer frames a second. Because if you ever played the Mega Man games for, I think it was for the GameCube Nintendo, or, the, uh, or the Wii and such... They made ones that looked like the old NES, and it was even to the point where you could turn it off and on. But if you wanted to, you could add in the kind of slow-motion flickering effect that happened when there was a lot of movement in the screen on, on an old NES because it didn't quite have... This is what the pixelation was. Then, yeah. Right, right. At the time, it would have been stuff that was very complex. So to compensate, the Nintendo would flicker and only show about half the stuff moving at a at any given time. And I think it's kind of funny how they went the extra mile of actually simulating that effect in the re-releases of the, of the games and the the new ones that they, that they made. So give that uh, old retro feel. One last thing on the docket here for Marvel. And this, this is something we have figured was going to happen for quite some time, especially after Spider-Man far from home was that we're going to get another daredevil series. Because we obviously we did see Matt Murdock played by Charlie Cox in Spider-Man: Far From Home. We are getting Daredevil: Born Again on now, Disney Far From Plus. Home, No Way Home. But yeah, I guess it was No Way Home. I keep getting my homes confused. Yeah. Far From Home. Is, there's too many homes in the yeah yeah. <laughs> in the, uh, in the Spider-Man. Yeah, maybe they'll do Spider-Man: Homeward Bound and use that uh, great uh, Simon and Garfunkel song as the theme music. So. <laughs> And then, and then add oh, in the cats and dogs. From, so he's, he's yeah. like him and Miles Brown trying to get back, like like the dog and the cat. And the yeah, dog. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, that'd be a crossover. <laughs> Turkey. Ooh, yeah. but, but anyway, Daredevil, <laughs> Daredevil, born again. It's going to air on Disney Plus in 2024. So we'll be up, and I'll put it in Phase Six. But it, 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 it is also bringing back Vincent D'Onofrio as Kingpin. Now, and Kevin Feige has said he is trying to pursue a TVMA rating. So it looks like the the greediness from the the Netflix version is still going to be there. So I don't know if that means we'll still get guy, guys' heads crushed with the car doors, but we'll, we'll see. And with the name like Born Again, that does seem to imply to me that they're going to at least be inspired by the Frank Miller run in the 80s, when, in which which brought about... Electra and really kind of explained why Daredevil Devil does 
what he does and explores his Catholicism as well. I mean, they 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 showed him at church in the Netflix series, but I think this may go a little bit more into that because Daredevil is one of those characters. I think I don't want to say he's underrated, but he is definitely one of the more complex characters. I think, especially when you get into mm-hmm. why he does what he does, and to me, I think that's that's something Stanley li- likes to put in there. Yeah, the psychological makeup of, of Matt Murdock is very unique. And he is one of the few and, people that I think understands Frank Castle. I don't know if they'll bring yeah. that aspect into it, but I think it seems to be like he's one of the few guys that truly understands why Punisher does what he does. I, I don't know if he's because he's just empath, empathetic with the character. I personally have always said the, the his relationship with his father and the way his father passes away. There's there's a bond there for him and and Frank because of the way Frank loses his family. So that's that's where I've always gone in my own interpretations of the relationship with those two characters. I am glad that, that he's going to go get an, an MA rating. I don't know if he's going to be able to do it on on Marvel Plus, Disney Plus. They might have to go the Hulu route, but we but Modoc's already on Hulu because Modoc's much more adult. Yeah, so, and that that is definitely TVMA. That is that's like Robot Chicken on steroids. There, it is. It is. Uh, it, as far as adult level, it's like the, the animated Harley Quinn on HBO Max. Yeah, yeah, yeah good comparison. Or and veiled uh, lesbian relationship, which is this full on lesbian relationship at the end of the, the second season with Harley mm-hmm. and Poison Ivy. So there's a lot of adult content on that. I think Modoc. But then again, we've also brought up that they've already openly said they're they're going to do a hard R TVMA version of Deadpool and at some point. Now, does that mean that he's going to be that character? When he, no. Ryan Reynolds will be a a cleaned up. I mean, he'll still be Deadpool. He'll still be funny and he'll be a smart ass, but he's mm-hmm. just not going to be the Deadpool that we've seen so far. Yeah, less F-bombs and dick jokes. For those that have not read the Born Again storyline, and, and for just full transparency, for those of us that are big Daredevil in the comics. I think it's universally regarded or agreed that Frank Miller's run with the character in the eighties was the best characters ever done on on the comic book page. And a lot of that is due to the fact that he dove heavily into character development, but his stories were good. But this, besides the, the, like you said, the emphasis on his spirituality and his religious beliefs and, and and them being part and parcel to the motivations of why he does what he does. This is also when they just darkened up the character and his supporting characters greatly, too. So there's a storyline where Karen Page leaves for a while and becomes a drug addict and then a porn star and develops AIDS. These are very, very adult stuff. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Matt's love for Karen and how all this situation affects him. And uh, there has always been a, a pretty adult thread running through Daredevil ever since Frank Miller got a hold of the title. And what was it, 84, 85? I think he took over the writing. Is that right? I think it's about right, yeah. And he, he actually created the character of Electra. Right. Electra, there's a, there's a dark, she's, she's dark too. It also, very happily, confirms what we said several months back on our review of the Hawkeye series, that the, the Vincent D'Onofrio's version of Wilson Fisk was not dead. <laughs> right, right. Now, now, granted, he could be dead, and this could be, this could time timeline wise could be taking place before the events of Hawkeye, but I seriously doubt it. I think this will have him uh, recovering from his uh, gunshot injury. I think is that that's just my thought. As soon as I heard the news, was oh this, this to me personally it was confirmation. Yeah, like I said, Wilson Fisk ain't dead. 
Now, this begs me to ask, even though she's not in the Frank Miller run, she's a fairly new character, because of what you just said about you thinking how they're going to handle the Wilson Fisk character, do we see Echo in this show? I would be surprised if we don't, because I think Echo series will have aired by then. I think Echo series is either late this year, year. or early next year. Mm, okay. Yeah. Well, we know that Kristen Ritter is going to come back as Jessica Jones and get her own mm-hmm. show on Disney+. Plus. We haven't heard anything about Finn Jones' Iron Fist. I think we both have agreed that he's probably not going to come back because Shang-Chi is kind of filling that role of that yeah. archetype. Yeah. And, and I seem to have liked Iron Fist more than most, but I can uh-huh. definitely agree with the thought that he is probably the character that would be missed the least out of those Defenders yeah. characters. And I hate to sound disrespectful, but I think that's, that's just the case. He's the one that... I think fans cared least about. So what about Mike Coulter and uh, as Luke, Luke Cage? Have we heard anything? About uh, I, I hope we do. I haven't heard anything confirmed. I, I believe he has gone on record as saying, if they want to hire me, let's talk or some, something to that effect. It's, uh, it's a paraphrase. Well, he's got that show on, CB, on CBS called Evil. He plays right. a priest. Right. As a horror guy, it's really good, by the way. If you like horror, if you like true crime, that's a good show. This little crazy train he does in there. I was thinking about that as well because notice Jeremy Renner did two series at the same time because he did the Haw- the Hawkeye series and he did that uh, what was the one where he was like uh, the mayor of king a city of king, uh, yeah it was like king king of uh mayor of Kingstown is is what it was yeah he mayor he was in that and it, I think it aired at the same time Hawkeye did so it shows that there's at least some measure of precedent for somebody to do two TV shows at once. Well, with all this talk, though, about those four characters, the Defenders, no one seems to really be mentioning Frank Castle. Yeah. Right. I mean, if, if they're going to do Deadpool and they're willing to go for a hard MA, might as well bring Punisher in, right? Yeah. And might as well bring John Barenthal back. I think everybody pretty much liked Barenthal's take on the character. Yeah, I, I, would, I, I certainly would it. not argue against him being the best on-screen incarnation. I, mean, I loved Thomas Jane's job as well. But uh, if somebody wanted to say that Bernthal was better, I, you know, I can see that. Because, now granted, there's more Bernthal because he did two shows. I'll say it before, I'll say it again. That particular take on Jigsaw and how Jigsaw came to be Jigsaw was very intriguing to me. And both those characters of Jigsaw and Punisher in that show, as I, I can say this as a mental health professional and advocate, was one of the best depictions I have ever seen on screen of what PTSD really is like. And you see two characters, both suffer from PTSD, who present their symptoms in different, or they're they're dealing with it in different ways. That, above all else, for me, from a personal standpoint, because what I do for a living, is why I loved his take on the character. But I said, if you're going to go for TVMA, you're not, I don't think that's going to be the regular norm with, with Marvel properties. So you better take advantage of that if you're going to get it, Feige. So go ahead and bring John Barenthal back. That's I, I'm I'm asking you as a fan. Yep, and I agree wholeheartedly. Right, that's going to wrap up this part of the San Diego Comic-Con talk from Marvel. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk DC. We'll talk a little Star Wars. This is Geekville Radio, and we'll be right back. Are you looking for a gaming-themed podcast? Then check out You Just Got Fragged. Join host Jared Aubrey and his panel of gaming enthusiasts as they discuss news and accomplishments in the gaming world and, of course, the gripe of the week. 
That's all at youjustgotfrags.com. Part of the Wrestling Brethren Podcast Family. Attention all time lords and ladies. This message is being sent by Lady President Romana and the High Council of Gallifrey. Heatville Radio presents Examining the Doctor. Join Mark and Seth as they bring their signature blend of knowledge and humor about everybody's favorite Time Lord, the Doctor. From Hartnell to Whitaker, Examining the Doctor provides episode commentaries for favorite and not-so-favorite Doctor Who stories. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, GeekvilleRadio.com, or wherever podcasts can be found. All right, we are back, continuing with our San Diego Comic-Con talk. We are moving into the DC world, sticking with comics, but moving to DC. Some of the big stuff that came out, really it was it was movie trailers. They had a little bit of extra footage of Black Adam, but it seems one of the big one of the biggest reveals looks to be the new trailer, or it's actually the first trailer, first full trailer for Shazam Fury of the Gods. And Zachary Levi is of course back reprising the role. But He's got the rest of the family with him because, uh, as we discussed in the episode of Geekle Radio we did where we talked about Captain Marvel, we did talk about how Shazam was once called Captain Marvel and his family was then known as the Marvel family. Now, they're, obviously, they're not going to call him the Marvel family in a DC-based uh, film, but they are going in that direction with his family now having powers as well because uh, there's there's even a scene in the trailer where they all say shazam at the same time and boom into their superhero personas and i, I what i think may interest me the most is dame helen mirren playing a villain i'm sure she's been a villain before but to put her in a superhero movie i thought was pretty interesting right now it, and it looks like the premise is with the family of Billy Bats and now all being superpowered, that that is kind of awakening the gods, so to speak, hence bringing about the fury of the gods. And we, we, we see a dragon, we see big buses being flown around. I mean, I don't know if there's anything else in the trailer that jumped out at you or not, but I, I think this definitely looks like it's going to be as good as the first one was. Yeah, I think my take on Shazam, from what we saw in the original Zach Levi, is that this is the DCU's attempt to be their kind of Ant-Man, Wasp, Guardians of the Galaxy. Serious, but more family-friendly, more fun. Heck, even Thor's kind of gone a little bit that way in Marvel. Yeah, both but, James Gunn and, uh, and Taika Waititi have that uh, kind of incongruous style or almost kind of eclectic right. with the music and the visuals that are used. Yeah, I think, I think both of them kind of look, even when they handle adult material, kind of still have a child, child-like impishness to them. And I think, I think, I think Shazam is kind of the equivalent of that within the DC. It's not dark and brooding like Batman. Well, heck, that was one of the problems is a lot of people didn't like Zack Snyder's dark and brooding Superman. But uh, I don't know if that was a concerted effort by Warner Brothers because of so much darkness in the Zack Snyder stuff, or if they thought that that best fit Zachary Levi's portrayal of the character, or if it was just some way, this way they wanted to go to delineate the two. But it was the decision they've made. And so I think this looks like it might be a little bit more dark. There were dark moments in the first one. Max Strong was, is always good as a bad guy. And his daughter, Savannah, at times was quite dark and evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, that's what I got out of it. It's that we're going to continue to see the same trend. Big, huge CGI fest type 
what we expect out of these movies now was a bit of a family-friendly kind of young adult, teenager, preteen kind of comedy to it. I'm sure you probably gather the same assessment. Right, right, definitely. Because I, I think the reason why humor like that works and why a character is done like that is every kid dreams of being in an adult body at some point, I think. And it's it, it's that kind of juxtaposition as you have the mind of a child in the body of a superhero. Now, of course, he can gr- he can gain right. the powers and the intelligence and all that stuff by saying Shazam, but in the end, it's a little kid brain in a big, powerful body. And I, I think that's just one of those things that it always works for kids when you do it well. I, I think you're right. I think that's inherent in the character of Captain Marvel, the Shazam mm-hmm. Captain Marvel, is that for... I don't care who you, I don't care whether you're talking Marvel or DC. Outside of Shazam and then the, like the Teen Titans, mm-hmm. um, is that all these, Bruce Wayne, he's a grown man. He's, he's had love interests. He's, I mean, to be blunt, he's had sex. Mm-hmm. He's fallen in love, fallen out. He's got to the parents. He runs a multi-billion dollar international company. He has adult problems. He looks at things as an adult. Clark Kent, Oliver Queen, doesn't matter, you name them. Same thing with Marvel. Tony Stark, Banner, they've all, they're all adults. Billy Batson truly is a child. And so there's going to be a, a, a wide-eyed, bright-eyed view on things. Sometimes I feel in some depictions of that character, it can be a bit overplayed. They sometimes do that in the animated versions of him. Like he's, a, he's almost golly gee, I can't believe I'm a member of the Justice League. But I think that they find a good balance here. And, and I think that, that's, that that character above all, all other characters, let's be honest, like, like, let's use Dick Grayson as a great example to stay in the DC world. Here's a guy who was, how old was he, depending on the writer, when, when, when Bruce took him in, he was, what, anywhere between 11 and 14? When Bruce took him in, he Something became Robin? Like, yeah, yeah, definitely a kid. Yeah, and he, doesn't, and, he, and, and he doesn't become Nightwing Man until usually, depending on the writer, he's getting around Teen Titans. But even he has a, a, an old soul. He sees the death of his parents. He grew up on the road, not having normal kids. Even before he became Robin, he was on the road. He did not have a normal childhood. He was around adults all the time, being a circus performer. Then he's raised pretty much as, as, an, as an only child of, of a rich, wealthy man. He's immediately thrust into this war on crime. He's, by the time he's, he becomes a man four years later at 18, he's already helped save the world, what, probably half a dozen times? Easily, yeah, easily. Yeah, and so even he has an old soul you don't see that with Billy. Other than Billy being an orphan, what's, what's that about him? Right. Nothing. And, he, and it seems like he's so young when that happens. It, 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 yes, it, it, there's some PTSD there, but not the same. Uh, and, and, of course, you can always take the other way, too. Look at how, how Tim Drake handled things. Not Tim Drake, Jason Todd. So there's, he has similar, similar backstories before they became heroes. Jason went one way. Billy went the other. Right. And and there's like no I don't can't think of any comparisons in 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 Marvel except for maybe some of Xavier's kids in the X Men. But Xavier does such a good job at being protective of them until they're old enough to handle being an X Men. You just don't see that. I guess my point is there's always that that aspect to the character, and I think they do a good job. We're going to see continue to see more of that in this movie. The big question I have is are we going to get Black Adam? Because I think it'd be the perfect thing to have Black Adam appear in like the mid-credits or post-credits scene. Yeah. Because well, I'm we- Superman in the mid-credits of the last one. 
Right, right. And uh, Black Adam is going to hit theaters two months before Shazam 2 does, so we'll already know that Black Adam's out there. I guess it depends on how Black Adam ends. I'm I'm pretty confident it's going to end with him still being a bit ambiguous as far as whether he's truly a a, a villain or a hero. Yeah, or a villain. Right. Right. Well, we said Black Adam started out in the comics as a straight-up villain. Right. But over time in the comics, I'd say about the last 15, 20 years, he's been anti-hero. Right, and possibly even anti-villain. He, uh, he's I mean, another one that I think fits that description of lawful evil. There, there are lines that he won't cross, and he will keep his end if he promises if he makes a promise about something. He's not quite as heroic, but I think there's a comparable uh, analogy to make between him and Namor in Marvel. Yeah, yeah, that is a good analogy. And leaders, lead, leaders of, of of a group of people who who I think want to do the right thing, but sometimes their methods are not the greatest in the world. And they're going to put their people first, no matter what. I think you're right. I do not think we see Black Adam like as an actual character in the movie. I think if anything, you use that to set up the, the third movie and you do it as a mid-credit scene. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Do you think anybody else from DC pops up? I'm, I'm trying to think of who else they could be setting up. They, they mentioned Batman and Flash in the trailer, but I think that is just done for explanation's Diana? sake. Yeah, yeah, it could be. Boy, putting a kid next to uh, Wonder Woman, that would be interesting as far as what he might be silently saying to himself. Well, dude, I'm a 50-year-old man. You put me next, next to Gal Gadot, I might giggle like a 12-year-old. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it was like the, uh, I think it was an old Wizard Magazine joke about uh, what what is your greatest fear when hanging out with the justice league and it, and it was like a martian manhunter being able to read your mind when you're standing next to wonder woman exactly very very strange look on that it was that was that mel gibson movie what, what women want where he could like read their minds yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a reverse i don't know if you need any because when you throw in all the, all the all the members of the family that are now empowered with the shazam magic right. Right. And we already know that the villains are going to be these other characters with God powers. Then again, we are talking about Warner Brothers who have mishandled this, this particular shared universe property from the jump. I think we Very all agree much. with that. Yeah. So, yeah. Who knows? Now, we've talked about how this is something that would be an interest to kids, something even more so for kids. And we're not, we don't really need to spend too much time on this, but I saw this and it's like, okay, I know this is silly. I know it's for little kids, but. I got a, a niece and a nephew that might fit the age bracket, but Bat Wheels, that's one word. And it's an animated series with Batman and Robin and their respective vehicles in the Bat family, only the vehicles are sentient, like something out of cars. They're actually talking to each other and such. And so the fact that Batman and Robin are now using sentient vehicles, it's almost like a a weird animated take on a crossover between cars and like Teen Knight Rider or something like that with like a <laughs> four or five kits all, all at once. So I'm a well, sucker for animation. The Batmobile could have a Robin's Robin cycle would be interesting. Right, right. And I know it's for kids and I'm an animation fan anyways, but I'll probably check out a few things here just to see where they go with them and, and what it's I, like. I, I, and it does look like they I, modeled the Batmobile kind of sort of after the 89 version just without that big uh, rocket looking thing going in the nose it looks like like if they just take out like took out that uh, yeah that big turbine it would uh, it would look almost just like it i think uh, i'll watch it for the same reason you will and i think it much like anything and you can speak to this even more than i can because you're a big even a bigger fan of animation and voice acting that's the key in any animation project mm-hmm. do you nail the voice acting 
if you cast the voice actors right, I don't care how silly your childlike is. It's fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. If, if um, you don't, if you don't nail it, you're, yeah. you're hurting. You're, 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 you're trying to ice skate uphill at that point. Right. It was, it was like with the Avengers Earth Mightiest Heroes series from around 2010 or so. The guy that voices Tony Stark basically does a Robert Downey Jr. impression. So, so there's a couple of times you think, holy, holy crap, that does sound like RDJ there. But, but that was the idea is they, they hired somebody to do an impression for obvious reasons because getting actual RDJ for that would probably be uh, astronomically expensive. But as far as Batman in this one, he's actually going to be voiced by Ethan Hawke apparently. So that Ethan Hawke can now be added to that list of guys who have been in both Marvel and DC projects now. And as we've pointed out before, if you're talking live action, yes, Marvel's got DC beat. But when you're talking animation, yeah, DC that, hands down has yeah, Marvel. Yeah, it's got, it's got the better track record. That. And if, uh, a huge reason for that is the voice acting. So mm-hmm. DC is so good at the voice act, cat, the voice casting for their animated stuff, like you and me have brought up many, many times. They're so effective in it that hearing Kevin Conroy or Mark Hamill is like hearing the Joker in Batman. They're, they're who you hear when you read the comics now. It just is what it is. That in and of itself tells me they're probably going to be okay because that's, that's one thing where Warner Brothers in D.C. definitely has over Marvel, and they always nail that. And it does not matter if it's their video games. It does not matter if it is animated movies or shorts or shows. They just always nail it. They get the absolute perfect people to voice these characters. And... In a certain way, I've I've had this debate with some, some some of my friends. You can look at it as like a hat, as like a, a one of the, the trying to find a silver lining in the cloud. This mm-hmm. is almost only happens because the live action has been so meh. Mm-hmm. Is that you don't have a large fan base that is tied to this person's voice being that character. Like you said, when Marvel decides to make an animated Avengers movie or television show. They have to cast somebody who essentially does an RDJ impression, right. because RDJ has, he he has become so inextricably linked with the Tony Stark character that this is who you see and hear as a fan. Right, definitely. Uh, DC, yeah, DC is as much as I love Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton's voice is not who I hear when I read Batman comics. I hear Kevin Conroy's right, voice. exactly. Yeah, and it's, so if you don't if you don't have that emotional tie in the fan base to an actor or actress playing a particular well-known role, you can have a little bit more leeway in your, in your casting for non-live action. And then if they're really good, then they become the voice you hear. So. Right, right, absolutely. All right, that's going to wrap up the DC portion. I know we, we talked we talk a little bit of Star Wars. There really wasn't that much revealed at San Diego Comic-Con, at least as far as movie and TV projects. We did get a trailer for Andor which will be the next Star Wars series starring Diego Luna reprising the role. And we got, I think it was a trailer and then like a first scene that that shows the Empire showing up on rebel hideouts and such. And what I think is interesting about this is, well, first off, we already know the character Andor dies in Rogue One, but it looks like this is going to be much more like a birth of the rebellion story like more so than we've ever seen before because they are bringing back some of the actors from the prequels and from rogue one because they got the same actress to play mon mothma again 
And you see a lot of stuff going on here between the action sequences and such that look like these are people in different areas of the galaxy. And so that's the best way I I think I could interpret it is that it looks like this is essentially Dawn of the Rebellion. And if it is going to go multiple seasons, I think by the time they'd probably get to the end, it would be like almost 10 years after Rogue One came out. And I don't know if by that time they'd have to start de-aging the actors or anything. I don't know if you saw any footage from the trailer that piqued your interest or not, but it looked like it's still in the same vein as, as Rogue One. That's what I was, I mean, I didn't really have any feelings one way or the other. I think it's pretty well documented here on the podcast. My thoughts on, on Rogue One. You're more of a fan of it than I am. I felt like it was, it was the most well-funded fan film of all time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Doesn't mean it was bad by any stretch of the imagination. I just feel like it was frivolous and unnecessary. I kind of have the same thoughts about this, but with that all being said, as a Star Wars geek like you, I'm interested in seeing this this particular point of view of the Rebel Alliance. This is such an important part of the Star Wars mythos, the war between the Empire and the the Rebel Alliance. And we obviously know the Empire's point of view because that's heavily shown in the movies. The, the, the movie's proper. And unless you watched Rebels, the animated series, there's not been a whole lot else about that particular side of the story, except, like you said, Rogue One. Right, right. And even so, with yeah, Rebels, that, the, the Rebel Alliance is already organized by the time they, the, the characters encounter them. Mm-hmm. So e- even mm-hmm. then, it, it's not so much an origin of the Alliance as it is the story of these four or five people that come into contact with the Rebel Alliance. Right. So that'd be interesting. Hey, if nothing else, this knowledge will allow you to even even show off your Star Wars geek cred even more because you'll be able to win all trivia night. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm guilty of it, too. Even before the prequels, I was such a Star Wars devotee that you're that you and me both are that guy that when Star Wars was brought up by casual fans, we were at parties in in high school. We would sit there and immediately drop a, a, a 20 or 30 minute fact dump about like deep deep lore that everybody's looking at us going like really yeah. how <laughs> did you get all this just from two movies <laughs> or three movies <laughs> yeah yeah like i just want to see a lightsaber duel that's all i want to do yeah, <laughs> yeah. and or, or when people would talk about how yoda was mentioned in empire strikes back but yet qui-gon wasn't and stuff like that but then if you listen closely to what yoda says when he's cutting his promo on on luke about all the times he's watched and watched him and, and all that yoda actually mentions right. i had my own council to train jedi so he actually mentions the jedi right. council uh, it's, it's very quick but right. it's there this is a mission it does mention any, any specific name right right <laughs> that's just you and me that's who we are mm-hmm. and we're not the only ones there's a lot of, of, of like hardcore star wars fans we're all guilty mm-hmm. of it Yep. No, you know, it's like, like right. really? Come on. <laughs> the other piece of news that dropped is casting. And I think what's happening is Disney is going a little light on Star Wars news here because they tend to save their Star Wars news for their own convention, D23, which is a month or two right. from now. So that's probably where we're going to get a lot more stuff. And there's Disney Plus Day right. yet to come. But they cast as the lead in Acolyte an actress by the name of Amandla, with an L, not Amanda, Amandla Stenberg. I hope I'm saying that correct, correctly. Now, young, 
young lady looks like. I, I, she's, they used a picture of her standing next to R2-D2, which I'm assuming R2's standing on something because she only appears to be a little taller than he is. But uh, I've said before that Acolyte is one of those that I definitely have an interest in because it's supposed to focus on kind of the dark side a few hundred years before the classic movies. I don't know if it's exactly in the time of the High Republic, but I think focusing on... So who, would, who, who would have been the Sith Master at that point? I think it might have been Darth Talon, now that I think about it. If, if we're going with the previous I lore, I don't so know... before Plagueis. Right, yeah, this is a few hundred years before that, because I know Darth Talon, I think, I forget when she was, but she was a female Twi'lek Sith Lord. That that was in the comics. I'm forgetting the era now, just because I started thinking about this. A Twi'lek who who is actually a dark dark force user. Exactly. That in itself is intriguing. Yeah, we're we're showing our our, our Star Wars nerd right there. (laughs) People, we got a lot of people going, what? Yeah, it, it intrigued George Lucas so much that he he allegedly was going to put that character in his sequel trilogy for George's seven, eight, mm. nine. That that never happened. So take that for what you will. Mm. But uh, other than that, other than really, it's supposed to be kind of kind of the underbelly and uh, more evil, possibly dark side th- side of things. I don't think we really know much else. But we're probably going to find out a lot more when D twenty three comes along. Now, the last thing before we wrap up here, like Train said at the beginning of the episode, which was dedicated to the memory of actor David Warner, and he had a ton of geek cred. You're looking at his B alone that has 228 credits. And I think a lot of people who have seen his work, there's usually at least one or two things he was in that people instantly identify as far as what he was in. And I, I kind of compare him to kind of like a Christopher Lee of sorts where – because Christopher Lee had that quote of every actor has to do terrible movies, but the trick is to not be terrible in him. I think David Warner fit right. that that mold as well because he definitely did some stinkers in his career. But the point is he he was seemed to always take the role seriously or at least what it was meant to be and did a good job with everything he did. The The role that I will probably remember him most for – is the original Tron in 1982, because, of course, he was the bad bad guy both in human form and in program form in the computer. Now, you being the horror guy, I'm assuming you have a different movie that you think of him first being in, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's well known to our listeners, especially those on You've the Dead. I'm a lifelong horror fan, and my first horror film ever saw at a theater was The Omen, 1974, you know, Gregory Peck. He co-stars in that. He plays the the photographer who kind of figures out, based on the way he, he develops his films, the titular omen. There's there's like this shading or shadowing effect on this on these pictures that he takes that is an omen of how people are of how the, all these people surrounding Damien die. There's a a shadow across the neck of the nanny. A picture he takes of, of the nanny who winds up hanging herself at Damien's birthday party. The famous. Which which Doctor Who was that that was in it for our Doctor Who reference this episode? You talking about the priest or was he, that was he, that Exorcist? Yeah, so uh-huh. he, yeah, yeah, the priest, the priest. Who was who was the priest? He was also oh oh, it's, oh, it was uh, Patrick uh, Troughton. Yeah, there's our obligatory Doctor <laughs> Who reference. Yeah, Father Brennan, he played. Yeah, and I'm the one that met. Yeah, yeah, Father Brennan, exactly. And I made it, not you. <laughs> in the picture, David Warner takes of that. There's a there's a, there's like a shadowing diagonally across his body, and then he gets impaled by a a 
wrought iron. So yes, mm-hmm. it, it, that's the his his death scene in the movie. There's a very very dramatic scene where Gregory Peck's character Damien's adopted or Damien's well he's his he's his real father and I use air quotes there. He tells David Warner as the photographer, "Why are you coming to me with this stupid idea? This is just you trying to." And he's like, "Really?" And he shows him a picture he took of himself in the mirror, and there's a line through his neck too, the same shadowing effect, basically saying he now has an omen of his own death. And later on, he does die in one of the most iconic scenes in the movie, where his they're in somewhere in the Middle East, I want to say Israel, and a flatbed truck that has sheet glass on the back of it some pals of the evil of satan the emergency brake goes comes off and it goes it, it shifts into neutral and it rolls backwards and one of the sheets of glass slides off the back of the of the and decapitates they were warned and this is a very very realistic looking particular special effect for the, especially for 1974 and that's before the slasher thing became a genre really yeah this is 74 senior uh, texas chainsaw came out texas chainsaw for all of its all of its infamy, it was not a very bloody movie. It didn't have anything like that, you know. Right. So it was, yeah, very. It was Tom Savini before Tom Savini became Tom Savini. He mm-hmm. did do the special effects on the movie, but it's that kind of same type of effects. Very realistic. I've heard, I, I've heard Warner talk about it in interviews. About, it was kind of freaky going into the into the special effects guy's trailer and seeing his own head. Right. <laughs> death with his like death death scream. But that, you know, I fell asleep as a small four-year-old child on my mother's shoulders and woke up right as that scene happens. And I, being a four-year-old, I equated that to Roadrunner Wiley e. Coyote, Bugs Bunny. I didn't, equ- I didn't equate it to the same horrific thing an adult mind did. Right. I saw it was more like slapstick physical comedy. I didn't understand it was supposed to be scary or grotesque. So I laughed out loud. And the whole theater wow. looked at me. <laughs> and look at my mom. Oh my God, your child is Damien. So for that alone, that one ex- experience that that kind of set my path down my my form of geekery and horror, and David Warner being such a a, a a vibrant part of that, you can see how that here I am, what forty some odd podcast about this stuff. He will inexorably be tied to that for me, and he was a good character in that movie. He was the non-believer who was forced to be a believer and then became to use the slasher analogy since you just brought it up he was the crazy ralph he was the gloom and doom here you know, do this is the answer you know and no one wanted to believe him even though he mm-hmm. had proof and and then like you i loved him in tron there was this thing when i guess when i was younger because i had seen a clockwork orange as well he he, he did have a striking resemblance to a little bit in my opinion uh malcolm mcdowell for, mm-hmm. I often confused the two, and it wasn't until I got older that I realized, oh no, they're two different actors. And I thought, did, is there anything there in IMDb? Were they, did they do any movies together or TV shows? Oh, you mean uh, David Warner and Malcolm McDowell? Yeah, I don't know why. I always there were just, and that was another thing I always tell was I always, for some reason, I don't know why I confused the two of them when I was when I was a teenager. Maybe because they're both British around the same age. Yeah, and and truth truth be told, I think David Warner could have pulled off Alex from Clockwork Orange. I think he could have, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I think so. It looks like they were in a movie together called Time After Time. Obviously not to be confused with I the great saw, uh, Cindy Lauper uh, song. With the Cindy Lauper song? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I think I saw that movie in, like, in college, and that's how I was, oh, wow, they are different guys. Yeah. <laughs> so, especially especially uh, when they were young. Yeah. I think, 
Oh yeah, when they were younger, like I said, you take the David Warner from the Omen era, and you take Malcolm McDowell from the, the Clockwork Orange era. We're talking late sixties, early seventies. They're very similar. And yeah. I've, I've, as most geeks do, I've, uh, you have to as well. I know because we've talked about it before, Seth. I did fan casting. We've all done fan casting for comic book movies and stuff. And David Warner, for a long time, was my pick to play a version of Alfred. I think he'd have been a great Alfred oh, in yeah. Batman movie. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And because he he's done a lot of genre and geek roles over the years. I just could, kind of going down the list here. He was Ra's al Ghul in the Batman animated series. He was on Gargoyles. He uh, he was in Spider-Man animated series. A lot, a lot of animated stuff around the world. He was, uh, I think he was Admiral Tolwyn in the Wing Commander feature film, which is a role that was played by right. Malcolm McDowell in the games. <laughs> so there's another comparison to the two. Point, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I think the other one that I will also remember him well for, uh, well, first off, I think, the general audience, the general movie fan will probably remember most for being ti- in, in Titanic because he was kind of the henchman to Billy Zane in that. But uh, he is one of those. Well, proving my fact that he could play evil. I, that's why I say he could pull off Alex from Classic yeah, Orange. A- absolutely. But uh, he is one of those that had multiple roles o- over the course of several years in Star Trek because he had a, a minor role in Star Trek V. He was a human in that, but he was also in Star Trek VI, the next one, but he was playing a Klingon in that. He was Counselor Gorkon, I think. And uh, since he was a Klingon, it, it was easy to disguise him. But I, I figured it out as a teenager after uh, after Six came out. I was like, wait a minute, this guy was in the last movie. But clearly he's a different character, and I think he played a third character in Next Generation. I think the classic scene that it kind of became its own meme but the there are four lights scene with where, where they're trying to interrogate Picard to break him I think David Warner was part of that as well so we talk about multiple genres geek cred and, and whatnot he he definitely is on that list of actors with the most geek cred oh yeah I mean, and, and like you said when you look at it, it's live action it's voice work for animators and video games it's I think probably more than others other things genre films tend to be an area where character actors and actresses find a home and find a lot of work and so fortunately i don't know if he is going to be as remembered because he was never a leading man he was a character guy but he was really good at it and like i said for me personally for years he was my pick when i would fantasy cast a batman movie as alfred i just thought he would have been really good and i am not a whovian but I've heard many Whovians say they think he would have made a good doctor. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You say, you're the big Whovian. Yeah. yeah, he actually does have a Doctor Who connection. He was in the episode Cold War, which was one of, I think, the last Matt Smith stories. So, yeah, he does have a Doctor Who connection. He would have been a great doctor. He would have been a great master. I, I know that while it wasn't him directly in the Transformers series in, in the 80s, the character of Shockwave was played by Corey Burton. And Corey Burton basically did a David Warner impression to do Shockwave. So if you ever watch some of those old episodes and you you hear Shockwave, you might actually think at first that it's David Warner, but it's actually a, another actor doing a an impression. And I think Corey Burton also went on to play Dooku in Star Wars Clone Wars. So he's kind of got a history of being able to voice match different I mean, actors. Mimic, mimic famous British, British actors. Yeah. 
Okay, yeah. It, it, well, he, it, how, and how old was he when he passed? 80. I think he would have been 81. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think he would have. I think his birthday was yet to come. Obviously lived a good life. We have, we talk about before when, when, when we have a famous person that passes that at that age, it's sad that they're gone, but we will always have the the ability because of streaming and stuff to go back and, and look at their body of work. And we've given you listeners a lot of of both animated and live action if you if you're interested in what David Warner brought to the table to watch. So our condolences to his family and his friends. That's never easy, but as we say all the time here on the show, no no one no one beats Father Time and, and the Grim Reaper. They have an undefeated right. record. Absolutely. There so yeah. So we here at uh, Geekville Radio want to send our deepest condolences to the family and friends of David Warner for their loss. There's so much stuff that he did over the years that are perfect things for him. Like I said, I'd, I'd recommend Tron, Star Trek Six, the train you said, The Omen, and, there, and there's a lot of animated stuff out there as well. So I'll put a link to his IMDb page in the show notes here at geekvilleradio.com slash 309. And uh, with that, we're going to shut down the power here in the Geekville Radio studios. You can find us on geekvilleradio.com, the podcatcher of your choosing. If this is your first time listening to us, we certainly would appreciate the follow or a, a review. However you listen to us, we can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio. We're now on Amazon as well in Amazon Podcasts. So just about any way you can find podcasts, you can find any of the Geekville Radio shows, do it. Search for that, and you'll find not only this show, but we got the Lesser Known Geek Hall of Fame. We got Examining the Doctor, where Mark Short and I talk Doctor Who episodes. We also got the Nostalgia Trip, where Train and I discuss pop culture of yesteryear. And Train, you have your own show that you host here on the Geek Radio Studios as well. I'll give you a chance to talk about that. Yeah, of course. I mentioned earlier, of course, Examining the Dead. That's our focus on the horror side of geekdom with all the news coming out and there's not as much this year as there normally is in the horror world but there is some from coming this year from comic con we will record one of those soon once again like seth said a fellow thanks out there to all our listeners remember you can always contact me on crazy train underscore jb at on twitter that is pretty much my handle across all social media platforms i enjoy it when our listeners do talk to us we we will get a review out of uh, thor love and thunder and kenobi uh, transparency we did record it was about a week and a half ago so uh, i think it was right after got lost in the ether yeah seth being the, the tech being the true tech marvel of this of this duo here we're going to blame it on hardware we're going to blame it on hardware not the operator it didn't get my side of the conversation which is sad because yeah. it was really good two hours to be recorded yeah so, yeah we'll, now we're gonna... we'll re-record that at some point yeah get yep. that back up but thanks again remember remember to give us a like a follow uh, click the notification bell. Y'all know the routine. Everybody knows it now in the social media world. Uh, and and like Seth said, the most important is any kind of response you give us, we appreciate, but let it be honest. I, I, I'd rather you be honest and just completely throw us under the bus than, than lie to me and blow sunshine up my skirt. But once again, thank yep. you, and we'll, we'll catch you next time. Right. Yep, we'll be back sooner rather than later. This is Geekville Radio, and we will be back next time. Geekville Radio is not sponsored or endorsed by any product or company unless specifically stated. 
The views expressed by the hosts and or guests are purely their own and do not represent the views of GeekvilleRadio.com, A1-Wrestling.com, or any affiliates. Some media used on Geekville Radio is the respective copyright of its publishers, all rights reserved. I know we waited to almost the end of the episode, but I think it's the first time we've done four, count them, four ob- obligatory Doctor Who references in one show. <laughs>